Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the 91st Psalm, verses 1 through 6 and 11 through 12. Now listen to and hear the word of God. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the hunter and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a defense. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Here ends our first reading. And our second reading is also from the Old Testament, from 2 Kings chapter 6, reading verses 8 through 17. I invite you to follow along in your pew Bible with me. It says, Once when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he took counsel with his officers, and he said, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel Take care not to pass this place, for the Arameans are going down there. And so the king of Israel sent word to the place of which the man of God spoke. More than once or twice, he warned a place so that it was on the alert. The mind of the king of Aram was greatly perturbed because of this. And he called his officers and he said to them, Now tell me, who among us is betraying us to the king of Israel? And then one of the officers said, no one, my lord and king. It is Elisha, the prophet in Israel. And he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. And the king said, go and find where he is. I will send and seize him. And so he was told, well, he is in Dothan. So the king of Aram sent horses and chariots there and a great army. And they came by night and they surrounded the city. When an attendant, a servant of the man of God, Elisha, when one of Elisha's servants of God rose early in the morning and went out, he saw an army with horses and chariots that was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, master, what shall we do? And Elisha replied, Do not be afraid, for there are more with us than there are with them. And then Elisha prayed, O Lord, Please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he saw. The mountain was full of God's horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm probably aging myself a bit but when I tell you that one of my favorite movies is the movie City Slickers a story about a group of city folk who go on a cattle drive with the intent of finding themselves and learning all about life. And there's this uh, kind of salty old character that's leading them, and his name is Curly. It's played by Jack Palance. And he and Billy Crystal are having a conversation at one point about the meaning of life. And Curly says, I'll tell you the meaning of life. It's this. And Billy Crystal says, the meaning of life is your finger? And Curly says, no, 
It's one thing. Billy Crystal asks, well, what's that one thing? And he says, that's what you have to figure out. I am so bold and more than a little bit audacious to stand here before you and tell you, I am going to tell you what the one thing is. Today, in the history of the church, in the liturgical calendar, we celebrate the Ascension Sunday. On Easter, we celebrated Jesus' resurrection. Next Sunday, 50 days later, we celebrate Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the story that's told in Acts 2. And on the Sunday before Pentecost, we celebrate the Ascension, when Jesus ascended into heaven. And in John 16, just before that happens, Jesus is with his disciples, and he tells them, it's good that I go. They didn't want him to leave. He said, it's good that I go, because then God will send his Spirit to be with you at all times and places. So celebrating the Ascension today is essentially celebrating God sending the Holy Spirit We'll do that more fully next Sunday. God's spirit with us. Originally, God was present in Jesus, but then when Jesus left, God sent his spirit, and he's with all people, all times, all places. So what? If it's true, it changes everything. It's the one thing. God is with us. There are more with us than there are with them. It's a fairly scary world, is it not? Frightening news out there. War and crime and corruption and depleted resources. And yet at any time of the day or night, you can find out what's happening with the Kardashians, which might say something about the values of the culture that we live in. Our schools are in trouble. Our government is in trouble. Sports and entertainment and business in trouble. The church in trouble. And where is God in the midst of all of this? What are we supposed to do? How do we change it? Why can't we see him if God is with us? How do we experience that one thing? That God is present with us. How do you and I learn to look at that scary world and also acknowledge the truth of the one thing that God is, has come to be with us all times and places? Because that's what Jesus promised. And we remember and call that to truth. When we look at the world, we, we all put on certain glasses. We all have a way of interpreting the things that go on. That's called a worldview. And lots of different things can inform our worldview. But as Christians, we are called to hold to a biblical worldview. We are called to let the Bible be the grid, the glasses through which we look at the world. Well, in the Bible, in the Old Testament... It testifies that God is faithful to save his people. That's an important worldview. In the New Testament, God's ultimate act of goodness and love and faithfulness is demonstrated in Jesus, the cross and the resurrection, where forgiveness and healing and the coming of the Holy Spirit are promised. The Holy Spirit that comes to give us wisdom and guidance and direction that we need. And while God's kingdom is 
initiated but not yet fully complete, it still is the truth to which you and I are called to see the world. The glasses that we put on, the view that we look at a scary world and make sense out of it and find meaning out of it. The one thing, that God is with us. God is for us. But we don't always see God. And that's what today's story in 2 Kings is about. Here's the setting. Israel is uh, involved in a series of border disputes with their neighbors. For centuries, Israel has been involved in border disputes with their neighbors. Elisha is the prophet who's leading Israel and giving God's message to them. And he is given divine messages about the enemy. So the king of Aram will speak and say, I'm going to go make my camp at such and such a place. Elisha is able to know that and discern it and tells it to the king of Israel. And it said more than once or twice, the king of Israel warned them so that the Arameans couldn't get them. It's the best military intelligence you could find anywhere. And it frustrates the heck out of the king of Aram. Oh, it makes him mad. What do you suppose he'll do? Well, what happens in our world, in our lives, when there is an advancement of the kingdom of God? Friends, it is always met with resistance. Always. If God's kingdom advances, there's going to be pushback against it. And we shouldn't be surprised or shocked or upset by that. It's simply a reality. The text tells us that the king of Aram thinks he can eliminate Elisha's influence if he breaks his communication with the king of Israel. And he says, send horses and chariots and a strong force, and surround the city, and I'm going to seize him. Translate, I'm going to kill him. We should read that text with the same fear that Elisha's servant felt. Elisha's servant woke up, and he saw horses and chariots and an army all the way surrounding the city. And he goes to Elisha, and he says, what are, what are we going to do? What should we do? I think that's how I react to the world sometimes. I look at the news or I look at what's going on and oh my goodness, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? How are we going to ever survive this? But there are unseen warriors all around us. The majority report says that the situation is bad. It's bad. There is an, a giant army surrounding this city. But there's a minority report and it offers another view. It's a report of God's unseen protection and God's shelter, God's care, God's providence. And Elisha helped the servant to see it. He prayed, and the servant's eyes were opened, and he saw the truth of God surrounding. There are more with us than there are with them, said Elisha. And here's the key point. This is the key point of the message that I want you to hear and pay attention to. 
there is greater strength in the unseen reality of God than in the seen reality of the enemy. Let me say that again. There is greater strength in the unseen reality of God than there is in the seen reality of the enemy. We lose focus and we become frightened because of what we see. The enemy armies that have surrounded us. But faith is about believing in and trusting what we do not see. God's protection, God's providence, this unseen reality of God's presence. The one thing. You know, in January, Tony preached a sermon, you may remember this, about God showing up in a hospital room in the fragile places of our lives. And he invited us, he challenged us to pay attention and look for where God shows up and to talk with each other about that. Then in April, Tony preached a sermon. You may remember this story too about a woman who had the same dream every night and she was in a hotel lobby and she said, I'm gonna tell that to the next person that walks in. And a man walked in and she told her dream about a man that was bound in chains and an angel named Grace who came to break those chains and how God showed up to teach this man about forgiveness and healing. And again, Tony challenged us to notice God. He said, God is showing up on the makeshift stages of ordinary time. Oh, God's all around. God is present everywhere. God is active everywhere. God is with us. It's the one thing. And just like Elisha's servant's eyes were opened so that he could see it, may we have our eyes opened to see that God is with us. God is for us. There is greater strength in the unseen reality of God than in the seen reality of the enemy. There's a great close to that story. I didn't read all the way through chapter 6 of 2 Kings, but let me just tell you quickly. Elisha prays. He prayed that his servant's eyes would be opened. And then Elisha prays and says, would you blind the eyes of the Aramean army? And all of them collectively were blinded. And the Israel army marched out, took them by the hand, and led them into the city. And then Elisha prays once more, open their eyes, and they open their eyes, and they realize they've been captured. And the servant says, shall we kill him? Shall we kill him? And Elisha says, no. Feed them. And they prepare a feast and feed their enemies. Isn't God impressive? Isn't God amazing? When am I going to start believing that? God is present. Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's true. I believe it with all my heart. It's the one thing. When will I start believing it? When will you? You know, in life, there are storms. 
There's heat. We have enemies. It's, it's tough. But Psalm 91 that Ben just read for us says, The one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Go back today or tomorrow and read Psalm 91 again about God's continued protection and providence for God's own people. Make God the place in which you abide. Make God your shelter that comes in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we're granted the one thing, the presence of God with us. I want to tell you a story about a time when I personally experienced God's presence in a very tangible and, and concrete way. It was a number of years ago. We were living in St. Louis, and Susie, my wife, and I had discerned that God was calling us to an overseas ministry. And we'd had dialogue with a couple of sending mission organizations, but I'd sent my resume off to this church in London, and they just pursued me. They came after me, and we had phone interviews and all these pieces that went, went with it. And finally, they invited me. They said, we want you to come to London for an in-person interview. So that day, I went to the St. Louis airport and got on my plane. My plane was a connection through Charlotte to catch the plane to London. We taxied out. And as happens in the Midwest, those of you from the Midwest know this, a giant thunderstorm popped up. Wind and rain and lightning and thunder, and they closed the airport. And we sat on that plane and sat and sat. After a while, the storm passed. They opened the airport, and we took off. And I landed in Charlotte, and I looked at my watch, and it was past the time that the London flight left. And I asked the flight attendant, I said, is there more than one flight a day to London? And she said, no, there's just one. And, and I remember I said these words to her. I said, I guess I can kiss that job goodbye. Because now I was going to sit in Charlotte for 24 hours to catch the flight the next day to arrive in London and in order to get back on the plane because that's when I was scheduled to fly back. As I exited the plane and I was walking down the jetway, I heard a man at the end of the jetway talking. I didn't know what he said, so as I got closer, he was saying, London, London Gatwick, where's my Gatwick passenger? Where's my Gatwick passenger? I'm going to London Gatwick. And he said, come with me. And he put me on one of those carts, and we went beep, 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 beep through the airport. You know, the ones that drive you crazy and you have to get out of the way? I was on that cart. And he pulled up to the gate, and the agents are going, come, come, you know, motion me as fast as they could. And I grabbed my bag, and I ran down the jetway, and as I stepped on the plane, they closed the door behind me. And there was one seat, mine. And I went and sat in it, and we immediately began to taxi. And the pilot came on the intercom, and he said, well, we're finally on our way. You know, it was funny. And there was one person's call button that was stuck in the on position. And we knew that none of you wanted to fly on an overnight flight to London with the call button just ringing continuously. So we called our mechanics and they came and they've got it fixed now and now we can be on our way. And I flew to London and I interviewed and I was offered the job 
and we accepted, and three months later, we packed everything up, and we moved to London, and it changed our lives. It powerfully changed our lives. If you want to go get coffee sometime or lunch, I love to tell stories. I'd be glad to tell you about how God changed our lives in London. But here's the thing. You can say whatever you want to about that stuck call button. The coincidence of it being stuck. Here's what I think. God was on that plane and he had his finger on the call button. (laughs) And it just rang and rang and rang. I want to change Barry's life and his family's life. And this is the flight that's going to get him there. Oh, Barry's on. Okay. And it stopped. The unseen reality of God. He is everywhere, all around us, all the time. As we close here, think with me for a minute. The Christian life is compared sometimes to a journey, or actually it's in in Corinthians, Paul compares it to a race. So if I'm on a journey or in a race, there's a goal, right? There's, There's a finish line. I don't get to that finish line. I don't get to that goal until the day I die and I meet Jesus face to face. Until then, I'm still in the race. Every single day, I'm still on the journey. I'm still at it. Trusting the unseen reality. Leaning into that. Leaning on faith. Seeking God's presence and asking God to guide me and lead me every single day. Asking to have my eyes opened like Elisha's servant. That I might glimpse the unseen reality of God and recognize that God shows up in the ordinariness of our lives. But I have to choose that. I have to welcome it every single day. I have to pay attention to it because there are a lot of distractions. There are plenty of distractions that want to take my mind and my heart and take them somewhere else. I have to be vigilant about those things and pay attention. It is a process, a daily process of intentionally taking off the old me and putting on the new me. Some days I'm better at that, and some days I'm not so good at that. But it's a conscious decision to pursue and trust in the unseen reality, the one thing. One of the great um, leaders of our faith was a 17th century monk named Brother Lawrence. He was just a humble monk. He worked in the kitchen but he wrote an incredibly powerful book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And he says these words, we cannot avoid the dangers and the reefs of which this life is full without the real and constant help of God. So let us ask him for it without ceasing. But how can we ask him without being with him? And how can we be with him without often thinking of him? And how can we often think of him without forming a holy habit of doing so? A daily choice, a daily commitment 
This journey of discipleship, my friends, is lifelong. It's not an event. It will take you and me our entire lives. Something that we'll do every day and every moment. But the unseen reality, the truth, as we go through each day, is that God is with us. God is present. And you may think I'm crazy, but I choose to believe that. I choose to embrace that. I choose to trust that truth. Because there's greater strength in the unseen reality of God than in the seen reality of the enemy. Amen.